welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast. Rick Roberts here. And thanks to our Patreon supporter for this episode, Greg Smirdell. Thanks, Greg. Greg's been supporting the podcast for quite a while now, and we appreciate that. If you'd like to support the podcast through a small recurring monthly donation, all you got to do is log on to schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N to find out more and the rewards you can get for sponsoring the podcast. All right, let's jump into this conversation with Johnny W. and Brian Bates. Hey, I'm here with Johnny and and Brian, and uh, you guys, uh, you're sitting so far across from each other. I wonder what's, is there something going on that I don't well, know about? Nothing's going on. I, we've, I've moved on, but uh, it's been about a month now. But Well, you said exactly a month before we started exactly airing, so obviously you're still thinking about it. I looked off into the distance like I was telling an old war story, but Bates and I were playing golf, uh, and there was this really, it was hole number six. We're going along okay. The hole number six had this huge hill, so we both hit near the fairway, but you got to go down this big hill, so we decided we're going to stay in the fairway, and then we get to the edge of this hill, we realize this is really steep. Maybe we should go back to the cart path, but I was like, well, I see tracks. Let's just stay on it. All right. Bates is driving. That, that's basically right. Keep going. All right. I'll be Judge Mathis. So you're telling me you went over the park path? What's going on with that? Do you have receipts for the golf cart? Anyway, so we take off down this hill. And I don't, all I know is we're going way too fast. But Bates swears he was riding the brake the whole time. Yes. So you know how if you're like riding the brake, it can make the car kind of curve a little bit. Sometimes sure. If you're like on a curve. Well, that's what happened. So it started curving to the left. And now we're almost totally perpendicular to this hill, and we just start tipping. And I've seen all these videos of carts tipping, people in the cart, and they get their arms mangled because the, the roof of it, just, you know, you're all, your arms are hanging out. And base is going to fall on me, too. So I have all this. So in the split second, I decide to jump out of this cart <laughs> as it's tipping, at, at which point I just land wrong on my big toe and just hyperextend it back, fracture it, and then barrel roll ahead. And but me removing myself from the cart, I guess it caused it to cantilever back. So Bates was none the worse. And uh, so yeah, so I was in a sh- I was in a soft shoe. I was off the toe for a while. Then I'm in a, in a soft shoe. Now I'm in a regular shoe. But I'm I'm pretty pretty gimpy still. So you're kind of like Steve McNair, got a turf toe out I there. Got turf toe playing through the pain. pain. I am playing. Are <laughs> <laughs> right, you want to hear the real story, sure, Rick? No, let's real. hear the other side. <laughs> All right, he started off pretty accurate. We were playing golf. So that part. Now, that's right. a, that's what I have the most problem with. <laughs> you guys getting it on the fairway. Yeah, that's where I've got a John Daly vibe to me. <laughs> yeah. Let's just don't say either one of us was killing it out there. On the I was golf like, hold course. my cigarette. I want to hit this. How, how many balls did you find when you went to look for yours? It was, yeah, it was, it was rough. We weren't playing well. We were, we were attempting golf. It you're, was you're on a golf course. I'll yeah. I'll accept that. Okay. Playing golf, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was a it was a steep hill. I said I don't think we should go down this hill. Right. And Johnny's like, oh come on, go for it. Johnny Look. says, gun it. Well, I thought I saw tracks on the hill. I was like, people have been down. He's this like, hill. well, people mow this hill. That's what you said. Those yeah. were, those were probably tracks from emergency vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Shelby Golf Course 
golf cart isn't the best. I was riding the brakes the whole time, but that but which is probably what caused it to do the thing it did. A fishtail kind of basically, mm-hmm. started, and you did feel the the momentum. Oh man! So my theory is Johnny fell out of the cart. <laughs> How far out from your side were your elbows when that happened? <laughs> was, it, was, was it like well, did you hit the ejector? Perspective, he said. I started to look over. And say we almost we almost yes. this over. And as he looked over to me, I was rolling. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was I was like, oh man! And I looked over, and Johnny's gone. And I see him rolling down the hill, and there's just fall. There's leaves everywhere, so leaves are just flying. <laughs> dirt grass. Then he wanted to keep playing, so we got to like the ninth hole. I was like, I don't think I can keep playing. Yeah, uh, it was throbbing, and so I was like, I'm gonna go home. He kept playing because that's course. the kind of guy. He I'll meet you at the car. <laughs> yeah. Put ice on it. Well, why should I stop playing? And then I texted him later. I was like, I thought I was gonna be fine. I thought it was just bruised or you know sprained. Right. So I was texting him pictures of like <laughs> feet and casts and everything, and he was like, Are you serious? I was like, Nah. nah. But then I did go to the doctor's, and he said, like, No, you have a fractured toe. Oh, no. I was like, Oh, so I was like, Well, the joke came true. Mm. But they didn't put it in a cast or anything. There's nothing really you can do for your big so, toe. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not, not a lot you can do. You just gotta like let it get better. That's really hard. I broke the toe next to my big toe uh, when I was I played soccer, but and never had an injury. Played soccer in intramurals, and a big football head guy stepped on my foot mm-hmm. and cracked my toe right next to my big toe. So they had to put they had to tape buddy tape it. Yeah, and then they just kind of now it's longer than almost my arm. But <laughs> it took over. It took over. It's straight. Uh, it points due north. It's well, my, magnetic. Yeah, my toe next to my big toe is longer than my big toe. Yeah, that that shows intelligence. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. So uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Didn't know that. Johnny's out there with baby toe. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys are at least talking to each other. We because, are. We because, may be. But our main goal today is to get out of here in time for lunch. So yes. uh, let's get going on that. So. Let's start off with A rooms, B rooms, C rooms. Uh, you're in the comedy club world, Brian, and I did that for a long time too. There's yeah. definitely rooms where you look forward to going to because they treat you well. The shows are almost always good because it's set up right. And then there's the gigs that you take to pay the bills sometimes too. Right. So why don't you lead us off with, you know, name those rooms. Name the exact rooms and booking all. agents <laughs> so we can eliminate working those uh, C rooms. <laughs> now, but what? Let me ask you this question All right. uh, in this topic. Have you seen any rooms ever change from an A room to a B room, B room to an A room? I've seen them go down. I've never seen them come up. Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I've definitely seen – I mean, I've been doing comedy now for almost 12 years, so I haven't had almost enough time to see rooms make a huge transformation because I always hear about rooms in the eighties that were great mm-hmm. and, and now they've went down. Um, I just worked Pittsburgh improv and they just did some renovations that definitely made it a better room as far as just the setup. You know, you were going up through the middle of the crowd and you had a long walk and, but now you come off, you know, out of the green and off the side of the stage. So that's some aesthetic improvements that they've made. Um, Definitely, you know, sometimes clubs change. Um, yeah, I don't want to name any but that went the opposite direction, but you do sometimes just see either the new ownership and they don't care or... Uh, well, I'll name some because I'm not really in that world right. anymore. But you know, I, when I moved here, I always thought Zany's was kind of a B-plus room. Like, it, just, it was a hard room for yeah. most comics. Uh, they seemed to have the same comics over and over and over and over again just because maybe it was a simple phone call and the, yeah. the booker or the owner liked the comics or whatever. Right. But I think it's moved up in the past four or five years. I mean, the comedy, 
not only the the variety of comedy shows that take place on the stage, but I mean they're doing brunches and different things. Mm-hmm. They're they're getting people in where they didn't before. Mm-hmm. And you know I don't know how turnout is. Have any dark nights now? Yeah, very. I mean that's we moved the school last class out of there because it was just too much mm-hmm. conflict with uh, last minute bookings and such. But it seems like that room's kind of upgraded. Yep. Over the years, um, there were there were lots of B rooms that turned into C rooms. Yeah. Um, I used to go up to Cleveland all the time. Uh, Hilarities. Now, Hilarities did kind of make a maybe a a B room to an A room change when they changed locations. And now they're Pickwick and Frolic or whatever they call it up there. And they moved from the warehouse. Akron kind of moved from a B room down to a C room. They had a, a pr- pretty interesting setup back in the day. It was it was a, there was an upper level, then there was a runway out to the stage, and there was a lower level. It was like six feet below your feet. Yeah. So you're always playing to two crowds. Mm-hmm. Uh. Then they moved locations to almost a venue that's so small that if the comic's not drawn there, it really feels like a bad room because mm-hmm. it should be packed. It's so much smaller. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I Splitters Knoxville was a club I really started doing club work in a lot. And uh, the ownership there was pretty rough and hostile. And they were probably a solid B at one point. And then went quickly to a C and then went out of business. Mm-hmm. It was like they couldn't. And what I think about a B to C is like, what talent are you getting? What are you seeing? Are you seeing guys with TV credits on the posters of coming soon? Or, and then you start seeing guys that like, I was a star in the seventies and I don't know even known for comedy, but I'm coming to side splitters to make basically a special. Appearance. I'm a pro wrestler. That's a C-room. Right. That's a I'm C-room. a pro wrestler. Coming to- All those zanies does that with Mick Foley or whatever. And they draw, and it's a big deal. But he's That's, like there for one night, whereas right. some clubs are doing him for like yeah. three nights in a row. Yeah. Or you see clubs pull this thing where they'll say, Chris Catan and friends. Uh, I'm buddies with John Christ, and when he was in the Denver scene, they did Chris Catan and friends. And they called him and said, can you be one of the friends? <laughs> Which I thought was so funny because it's like they call it that thinking, we'll put this show together. But it's really like, hey, Chris Catan will do a few impressions from Saturday Night Live sketches. And then we'll throw these local comics up with him. And right. We'll make money on it. And it's like a total cash grab. That's a really B room thing to do. Borderline C room thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think in B rooms that turn to C rooms typically start papering the room yeah. heavy when that happens, thinking yeah. they can somehow cut their losses. But all of a sudden, you're not getting decent comics and you're papering the room. Oh, I just thought of one. I'll, I'll definitely I'll name some that have improved. Stardome. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big complaints about Stardome was... The stage was so high that, you know, it's just, you're just looking down. Disconnect. Yeah. And they uh, lowered the stage a couple years ago to make it uh, just more connected with the audience. The backdrop, it's one of the most beautiful stages you'll find anywhere. And I, you can just tell a difference now when you go there. The just You're more connected with the audience. Yeah, because before it was like the, the pit on the floor. Yeah, it was a pit. And they and they were eating <clears throat> and looking up like a dinner show, yep. you know, especially if you're in the first half of the show. Yep. They're still dining and you know, <laughs> steak nice going full speed ahead. <laughs> I just did comedy on state in uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, and that's you ever been there? Yeah, that's one of the best clubs there is, and they just little things they do like they have a clock, not a clock where you can just see what time it is up there for the comics where you have to do the math. They just have a countdown clock up there so you can see how long you've been on stage. Why would every club not do that? I know. I've always they thought. Ask you about do you want a two minute light? Do you want a three minute light? Why not just put a countdown clock? Yeah. Every state should have it, and they yeah. should have a, they should have it to where if you go over your time, the audience can see it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then if it goes over five minutes, you, they should show a picture of the headliner in the back room getting the, turning different shades of red. Yeah, <laughs> the Gary Larson far side where the guy's walking out of the bathroom and this huge light's going on behind him that says, didn't wash hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad that it's such a profession where people do go over so much, but yeah. you know, it can kill a show. It can definitely kill a show. And there should also be a, maybe a... Um, you get out of jail free light. <laughs> like if you're up there and you're just eating it, the, the manager go, Hey, the headliner can do an hour and 15. That's get out. Great. Yeah. But he something sends is word. They ask the guy, then they send word. You yeah. get secret messages. from yeah. the, on the A Raven screen. lands on your arm. This <laughs> 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 uh, looks like I got to wrap up folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's weird because comedy can be this very self-indulgent thing anyway. And then that's, that's taking it to another level when you go way over your time because you're like, what are you? I was killing up there. I can't yeah. let him go. You know, I lost track of time. It's like, yeah, but that's really unprofessional. But it, we've all done it at one time or another. But yeah, people that do it all the time, they get a reputation. It's, it's tough. What's the worst you've ever done it though? Like, what's the most time you've ever went over? One time I did, a, I was on tour with Tim Hawkins, which is not a good time to do it because it's not my show. Uh-huh. He brings me up in the middle. He does. I don't really open like a traditional opener on Tim's shows. So he'll come out and do almost an hour, like 50 minutes. He brings me out. I'm supposed to do like 15, 16, and then I pitch to intermission. Then we come back, start the second half of the show together. One time I was trying to work in some new bits. And the thing about that is, as you know, you can not account for the time that the new bit is taking up in the set. Then you get, well, I got to go back to this solid thing because that new bit kind of ramp- mm-hmm. rambled and I got to get... And somehow I ended up doing like 23 minutes. I mean, it was way, way over. And I knew it. When I got off stage, I looked at my phone. I was like, oh, no. And I just apologized to him. I was like, hey, man, I'm sorry. And I think he made a joke about it. He came back to the bus after he knew I was like sweating it. And he was just like, hey, can you look at my watch? Something's wrong with my watch. He was being a real like, he was, it was funny. He was kind of being smart like about it, but also kind of let me off the hook for it in yeah. a way. <laughs> but I felt terrible because again, it's not my show, and I felt like I'd totally like taken advantage of this thing, you know. Yeah, that's funny. Guys? The last time I went over, I was at Comedy Off Broadway with Jeff Caldwell, maybe three or four Thanksgivings ago, and I was supposed to do twenty in, in the middle spot, mm-hmm. and then he was going to do an hour. He was trying some stuff out for TV or whatever, and I the last time I'd worked with him, uh, maybe it was four years, no, probably six years before that. And I had, I was doing a lot of guitar stuff, and I really wasn't setting him up right. Yeah. And so I was really like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make things right, and then I want to get him on my podcast to talk about when he did Letterman and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and so we're talking before the show starts, and he's like, all right, man, have a good set. So I go up, and they have a stoplight that has red, yellow, and green to tell you, you know, when it's red, it's time to get off. And it wasn't working, and I didn't bring my watch on stage. You know, I think at that point I was just bringing my cell phone and hitting the timer, but I didn't do that because I knew they had the thing. Yeah. And I didn't. <laughs> the light came on. I didn't have my glasses on, and I missed it. So instead of doing twenty, I you did. Can't see light without your glasses. Apparently not, because I kept looking in the spot where it's supposed to be, and I saw nothing. I did forty-five oh, no. instead of twenty. Wow. On the first night of the week. I don't feel so bad. Now. And the whole time I'm look, I'm like looking for signs. Like I think I've done enough time. I, you know, <laughs> even when I wrapped up though, it was it was so disorienting that I'm like, maybe I went short. Like I couldn't tell. Man. Because <laughs> I, you know, it's like going through a lot of material. I'm yeah. like, what's going on here? So, 
when, I, when he was coming up stage, like, hey, you get all the jokes in you wanted to get in? <laughs> you know, kind of a look at my face, and, uh, and I had to apologize to him after. And I was good from from there on. But I so so now so I always you went take myself over two hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, over yeah. your time. And I probably give the crowd fifteen percent of what they expected. Yeah, yeah. It was just not a good way to start the week. But luckily, he was super nice about it. It was no big deal to him. But it did throw off the check drop and some stuff later. Yeah. So now I always bring my my big cell phone and I put the timer on it where I can see it. You know, I put it right where my feet will be, and psh, I don't care if the audience sees me looking at that because I'm not going to go off any longer than I should. What about you, Bates? You Is don't you, wear a watch like ever. The, I don't wear a watch. I don't period. Wear a watch yeah, I like to have a stopwatch just as a backup. Mm-hmm. Just Well, when I had a stopwatch, what would happen is sometimes I would bend my hand in a way that it would stop the stopwatch, and I would look down, and it's like blinking at 12. I'm like, how long has it been blinking at 12, you know? (laughs) So then I used to— I tried everything. I I tried everything, putting a cell phone in my coat pocket, and then I tried to figure out a way to make it the alarm just vibrate rather than start start chiming. I couldn't figure out a way to do it on the iPhone, and and I was just like, yeah, but a watch—I feel like when you look at—if I was to look at a watch— it's like taking your eyes off the road or something. I feel like yeah. the crowd can sense it, but maybe they can't. I'm just very self-aware up there. I'm always like, even when I stop taking a drink of water, I feel like the crowd's like, get on with it. You yeah, know? I, know. Like, I have this very, I'm very sensitive about that. So I think looking at a watch would make me feel weird. When I did wear a watch, I, w- I would put the watch face facing yeah. me sometimes. So it wasn't as obvious. Yeah. But what it about looks like you're looking at notes on your hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got a great joke about 1215 coming up. <laughs> What's up with fingers, you guys? Anybody, Anybody got them? Raise them. <laughs> Have you gone long in front of Nate or anybody that you've opened for on a regular um, basis? I haven't. No, I don't think I ever. Ha- I mean, I've Mr. had Perfect. like, well, I've, I've had bookers say, uh, that was five minutes too long. And I'm like, well, I was only doing five minutes. And they're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had plenty of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think I've had more than a couple of minutes over. I don't. I've never had anybody complain or. <laughs> yeah, anything. that's a good one. I like that thing at the end. Oh, you mean my closer? No, when you stop. Like <laughs> yeah. At the very end, you stop talking. You know, it's neat when I do the audience warm up thing. They have a uh, countdown right on the TV camera. Yeah. So I see it, and when it gets to five minutes, it turns red. And what's been really fun is every show every warm-up set i'm doing different things and then but i see that timer and i've, I've always landed it within like three seconds before the the yeah. timer went off no matter what joke i was in sometimes you cut tags or whatever mm-hmm. or you give up a big punchline at the end to get there or you just kind of cut something short and i've got a couple of jokes that are like 30 seconds so i know i can get into those but it's it's kind of retrained my brain on how to end with a bang even though it might be a 30 second bit instead of a five minute yeah bit. it might not be the bang that you are expecting but they don't know they don't know they have no idea lost the, the big tag or whatever yeah that's good i think people that do like network television a lot they have an advantage of that for sure as far as knowing i know this bit's exactly this long yeah. i don't really think i could ballpark all that anymore unless i just really sat down with it one day it's good to do once a year or so just to kind of listen to what your typical set is mm-hmm. typical night and just hey this is three this is five this is two uh I used to do that when I would do a cruise ship once in a while because you'd have so much free time. Yeah. I would listen to everything, and I'd go back, and I'd time it all out so I just knew. But yeah. ha- having those 15, 20, 30-second things to get in and out of are, yeah. are really good. Well, I did this thing, uh, this conference, where I had to have like five or six 10-minute sets, which is really hard because you have to get in, get out on a big on a big laughs, and have a middle that's strong. And I had to do that six or five or six times. And it was like, oh, my gosh. 
But one thing it helped me do, and what to your point about knowing how long your jokes are, there were jokes that I was like, okay, this is right at the edge of 10 minutes. I need to shorten this joke. And it would get just as big a laugh, and I'd be like, oh, that joke's too wordy. I hadn't realized it until you tell it a short version of it, and mm-hmm. it gets as big of a laugh. You're like, oh, well, I can I can just trim this joke now. Yeah, you know, that's funny because that, sometimes I, I've got kind of story bits where – I feel like it's a rubber band. The more I pull on it, the more tension. When I hit mm-hmm. the punchline, it's a bigger laugh. Yeah. But sometimes you just needed a shorter rubber band, like the same amount of tension. Okay. you can do it in a third of the time. Yeah, you know what I mean? Analogy. Yeah. Not the rubber band theory of comedy. <laughs> look <laughs> for his book, Pendant Publishing. <laughs> like I'm going to look, toes, look at my watch now and see if this podcast <laughs> is on time. Oh, we're almost done. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess we kind of veered a little bit off the, the main topic there, but yeah. A rooms, B rooms, C rooms. A rooms, the setup for A rooms, there might be a clock on stage. It helps you. The crowds are good consistently. They're marketing it right. They're getting good comics. For church groups where you feel like it might be a, a B setup or a C like I never want to call out some church and go, your yeah. your belief in God is about this, right. a C level right now. Hmm. Uh, but they don't paper the room necessarily. But what do you feel would be a – Well, sometimes you could equate it to papering, though, if it's a, if it's a free event – uh, and they're calling an outreach or something, and they're saying, hey, we just want people to come out and have a good time. We're going to do this. And sometimes if people don't have any investment in a show, just like a papered room at a club, they – like if somebody pays $10, they're going to laugh $10 worth. Mm-hmm. That's just the, a general rule, unless you're terrible. Uh, but that's, they're, they'll make it free. So sometimes that's an issue. A lot of times churches will do events for the first time. That's when – it's almost like a guy just starting a comedy club. You're, you don't expect it to be good for a couple of years. Well, sometimes churches will do it all the time. They're like, we've never tried this. They don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. I'll send them the writer and say, this is what you need to do to have a good event. And a lot of those tips I got from you. And uh, they won't be able to do five or six of them out of the ten. And so I'll get there. There's speakers in the ceiling or there's there's no way to lower these lights. I'm in a gym. So they got those weird kettle lights. If I turn them off, they'll take 30 minutes to warm back up. Right. So I have to just leave them hot. So I hear the buzzing of the ballast on the lights and I'm just on this weird four by eight plywood state. So there's some of that where if you get into a church that's done five or six events, they've had, Oh, we just had Jeff Allen. We just had Michael jr. Well, I know that they're ready. So that's a relief. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost like walking into a solid club room where you're like, okay, they know what they know the deal. They're not going to be thrown by any of this. But so that's the only thing I could compare it to is like, I hate speakers in the ceiling cause I do music in my show. So it's not like I'm just a monologist. So it really affects the quality of that. It sounds like elevator music, whatever I do. Right. I do music through speakers in the ceiling or something. And do you find that the, the further the speakers are from the audience, the more they appreciate you? <laughs> <laughs> I like that part of the end. Yeah. <laughs> hey, going to break in just for a second. I forgot to remind you that there's two things you might want to take advantage of as the new year rolls upon us. First off, we have live writing classes in Nashville, Tennessee. That'll be January 7, 14, and 21 from 6 to 8 p.m. Those classes are all you need to know about writing. You get about 14 assignments in those classes. You turn them in. I look at them. I give you some feedback, and you get to meet some cool creative people along with that. Class cost is $200, but if you prepay before December 25, you can get a 10% off, bringing that class cost down to 180 Also, if you are not in Nashville, but you feel like you need to get some ideas on how to make your comedy career go a little bit bigger, better, and faster, get more bookable, uh, you can join Club 52. This might be the best deal on the planet. If there was a deal like this out that I could take, I would take advantage of it. Club 52 is a weekly email prompt. I'll give you one specific thing you can work on. 
in your comedy craft, your business of comedy, your performing of comedy, something that's a doable, tangible morsel of comedy that you can knock out in a weekend if you need to. And you get that email once a week, and you also get invited to a quarterly Zoom hangout online where you can ask specific questions of not just me, but the other people in the hangout. Uh, you can do that for as little as $7 a month. If I was going to make a $7 investment in my comedy career, this would absolutely be it. Uh, you get an accountability group, and you get those weekly prompts, and you get to meet some other cool people from around the country. So you can find out more about that at schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you want to get involved with the classes in Nashville, shoot me an email, schooloflaughs at gmail.com, and put prepaid discount in the subject line. All right, let's get back to the fun interview I'm having with Brian and Johnny. Now, I think you hit on something there is is, and it's it's interesting because in corporate and churches sometimes it, a lot of times it's the first time, yeah. And that's always not necessarily a red flag, but it's an alert to hey, you need to help them a little yeah. bit to figure this they out. More coaching for sure. And you know, you know that hey, it's we're, we're going to make it work. Like yeah. I'm not going to be a prima donna walking right. and go, <laughs> you know. But it is going to take some extra work. A club that remains a C room because they keep doing the same things over and over again wrong, is kind of in a different situation. It's almost more sad than the occasional C gig or whatever for a corporate. I get corporate events too where if it's the first time, uh, you know, that sometimes their idea of what will make it perfect is the worst possible <laughs> stuff and you have to kind of talk them out of it. You know, we'll, we'll have you go up during dinner because they're all going to be sitting down and all yeah. those things. Um, but there also are some situations where, like I've done shows for, like I just did one a couple weeks ago and, up in Cincinnati, I'd, I'd already done an event for these people, did my speech, they wanted me to come in and do my comedy. So I said, how many people going to be there? They're like, we got 18, it's like a manager's retreat. I'm like, all right, it should be fun. So I get to the venue, and there, it's a like a state park kind of setup. Yeah. So it's a big, not even brick, like stone building. The uh, There's no heat. <laughs> like they've been trying to get the heat going. And this is a group of HVAC people. So it, it was even more yeah. funny in a way, but they should have had it figured out. So the the heat kicks on right before I go on. Yeah. And because it's a small building, there was like no place to put a sound system. So they just didn't have one. Like, there's only 18 of us. Yeah. And if there had been quiet, like from the, the furnace thing was like right above me. So it was oh, like boy. an audible <laughs> the whole time. So I had to kind of really speak loudly, almost yell. And it worked, but it wasn't the best, you know. And that one could have been an A one, really simple, if they could have either just got the heat going early or put up a microphone. Man. So you have those recurring gigs that aren't as good as they were the first time. Yeah. It's like an A gig that went to a B gig, but the location was the main thing. Yeah, so this is what I really wanted to talk about was the corporate A room, B uh-huh. room, and C room. I think I threw this out a few months ago because when I do corporate, which is not very often – they're usually what you would consider C gigs because, um, you know, there's advice that you give me, like, you know, obviously ask that they're not be eating, be done eating and things like that. But sometimes when I talk to these headline big name comics, they're like, oh, well, make sure that uh, they lower the lights as you walk on the, all this stuff. I'm like, they don't even have lights. Right. It's, they don't even have a stage. I'm yeah. usually doing some picnic pavilion or something like that, you know. And uh, it's 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 tough. <laughs> it can be tough. I mean, a lot of the stuff just it doesn't apply because they don't have it. I can put it in the writer, but <laughs> there yeah, is we, no writer. We talked about that at dinner the other night. They're like, and the scale only goes to eight at a corporate event. Like you don't get a ten. Ten is like once in a blue moon. 
you but if you get an eight, that's like a standing ovation. If you get a solid, like they loved it, you felt good. It's like you're walking on air when you just walk out of there because you're you, there's so many things going against you in a corporate event that you're foisted on them is really how it is. A lot of times, yeah. you know, the um, I think uh, there's several components that make it a harder gig than it needs to be. But that's what you're paid to do is to come out. And, yeah. and But, you know, when they've been at a conference all day long in the okay. same chairs around right. the same tables, and then all of a sudden we're going to break for 40 minutes and we're coming in, we're going to eat and then sit in these same chairs. Like it's just they've been, you know, I've been in that situation before yeah. at a conference where I'm like, oh, gosh, this thing. Another thing's, guy. Yeah. Another, you know, and the, not only is comedy required mental interaction to get the mm-hmm. punchline, but they've already – hopefully been listening intently all day long. So like your ability to do that for a corporate person, they do that twice a year for three days or whatever. And it's like they're over saturated mm-hmm. and overstimulated basically yeah. by trying to interact. So sometimes you walk in there, you, it looks like they're shell shocked almost. So you, you kind of have to make it a little bit more playful and a little, yeah. a little easier for One them. One thing I thought about the other day and I was telling Brian, this is like, we have those rules, like, because you do corporate and I do a lot of churches and conferences, and we talk about food. I get a lot of food events, banquets, especially this time of year, mm-hmm. Christmas time. And we always talk about, no, make sure they're done eating food. People don't laugh very loud with their mouths full, whatever. Whatever rules I give them, and I say, hey, this is best practices. And I was thinking about that. When you do comedy clubs, I do comedy clubs, I do fine. They're always eating. They're always eating. Why do you think it's different? Well, I think part of it is, in a comedy club, it's finger food. They're and not everybody in the comedy clubs either, you know. But they're whispering to waitresses to bring them another coke. I mean, there's talking and. But you've got the lights and the sound that are, are that are. And they the waitresses can act like ninjas. They'll run around there in their black outfits. And they and know why around. they're there at a comedy club. That's they true. came to laugh. That's true. They and they're invested in it. Yeah. Whereas at a corporate so event, it overrides the eating thing. Yeah, I think so. And 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 typically, I don't think the comedy clubs have silverware. It's usually like. Plasticware, so there's not even that noise right. going on, and they're not all clearing the tables at the same time. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing I really have this the past year. Of plate stacking, oh my god! I said, listen, I don't mind going up after dessert's been put down, but the, the what I have to say, the wait staff has to stand down. They yeah. can't be clearing the buffet, even if it's 200 yards away. They can't be picking up forks and knives. Period. Mm-hmm. And I just say, if they do, you're going to wish that we never did the comedy show. And I kind of look at them like, just trust me on this. Yeah. And sometimes it means the staff has to stay there a little bit longer, but right. you just can't compete with the, that weird, yeah, inc- they're, inconsistent they're noise. around in your field of view, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, it distracts you. They're not gonna—they're gonna miss a part of the setup that they needed to hear. Yeah, yeah. it's brutal. So, so you—if um, you—if they've been in meetings all day, you said somebody you try to be more playful off the top. It sounds like you, just a little something that's just so different than anything they've been listening to. Yeah, like for example, I, I don't typically do a lot of crowd work at a corporate event because I figure they're paying to see greatest hits or whatever. But in that situation, I might start off with a little bit more of, you know, I may have seen the the list of what they listened to today, and I won't make fun of the speaker, but maybe the topic is something that's kind of funny, and I go, oh, I saw you guys were doing like, mm-hmm. you know, how to remove industrial waste from a basement, for, you know, yeah. some riveting topics. Hopefully, my comedy will keep, you know keep mm-hmm. up with that. I'll just try to like acknowledge the fact yeah. that they've been there all day. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, unlike some of your speakers, I won't go long. You know, whatever yeah. I can do to kind of let them know it's going to be fun. But I always will just say, you're going to have fun. Just yeah. I want you guys to relax. There's no stress. I'll yeah. just almost give them permission to re- remove all that. Yeah, yeah. I like if, if, it's, if it's something like that where it's like waste removal or they know that their job is weird and dull to think about. And so they don't mind you jabbing it. I did, I did one. It was uh, in Savannah and it was for uh, 
It's a big, nice hotel. It's for the American Association of Wire Rope Fabricators. And so I just I read it. I was like, why? I said, I read that. I was like, these guys know how to party. You know? And they got a big, they laughed. Yeah. They know it's like, this is the dullest thing ever. Yeah. So they like an outside perspective on that sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit of, and you do, I think, a good job when you do corporates. Most times you don't do customize it a little bit if you have some time and, I do. Sometimes that has not worked out well. Though. Well, yeah, that's it's like a real interesting double-edged sword. Yeah. Because if you lead with it yeah. and it doesn't work, you know you're in a hole. Yeah, you're in a hole. <laughs> and if you if you lead with it, and it works great, great. But you can't practice it. You only have that one shot to yeah. throw it out there. I do like the risk of doing that. Yeah. But I don't like when it <laughs> doesn't work. Well, it's just a delicate balance because sometimes it's almost better to you make fun of yourself first before you make fun of them because. I don't know. Like it's just a tricky joke. Like if they're like, "What is? Where's this guy coming from?" Yeah. Well, I have sometimes where I lead off with the Barney Fife doing tickets. Mm-hmm. They'll give me information on people, yeah. and and I'll tweak it a little bit. Or if they interact with it, I'll just kind of go off the cuff with them for a few seconds until yeah. I go to the next ticket. And this past year, I was doing a a, a chamber banquet, and the, the thing about the gal was she she never met a pet that she didn't love and she had a lot of extra pets or whatever at her house and her neighbors were starting to complain because there's too many dogs barking. And <laughs> as Barney Fife has said something like, well, I've got a friend who can take care of that, Mike Vick. <laughs> and I thought it would get a huge laugh and it was like, ooh. I'm like, it's been six years, people. As Barney Fife, it's been six years, people. <laughs> I don't even have a friend. None of this is real. <laughs> But just like that really reset the tone and my my program didn't have the normal reaction. I, I knew it was from that. So like halfway through the whole thing, I'm like, are you guys still mad about that Michael Vick thing? Oh my and the couple people are like, I'm like, my apologies. And then from there it was fine. Yeah. But they were still thinking about what a rude thing to say. Yeah. Well, wow. I, I just did the Amway thing. Uh, it's like 7,000 Amway salesmen. And I always thought of you because you said you did a thing at the Amway hotel. or Yeah, yeah. And you did it. You opened with something. What was it? I can't remember. You oh, don't you guys love the Amway hotel? I had a room on the first floor. I found two guys to buy my room. I upgraded to the third floor. Yeah. Three more transactions. I'm in the penthouse suite. Yeah. But it so wasn't was like, it wasn't for Amway employees. So it was yeah, just right. at the hotel. So I was like, ah, should I? Because you said you're welcome to do it. I was like, I don't, I didn't risk it. The one I thought of that I knew about right away was too mean. I was gonna say, it's so great you guys can get together, seven thousand you all together in one place. You can only do this one time a year. It's so cool that y'all have this because I know none of your friends or family will take your calls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I thought that's immediately. I already I discarded it. But it's funny, but too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's almost one of those things. I thought later in the show you might be able to get away with it. Yeah. Or once you've established that you're self-deprecating and et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'll work those in where when I get a guy up to sing with me on stage, if it's a company event, if I've had some of those ideas, uh-huh. but I didn't want to lead with them, I'll see if I can w- work him in there. Like, so how long have you been with the company? And, you know, then mm-hmm. put those jokes in there. And if they don't work, you just move on right along. But if they do work, you kind of egg well, yeah, it up a little. That goes bad. You're like, oh, tough crowd, man. This, you don't like this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess you don't like Dave. They're here. turning on their own up here. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I guess there's a lot of different little little things that make A room, B room, C room. What would be like your, your dream scenario, uh, we'll say, for your niche? So yeah. Johnny be thinking about like your dream church gig. Okay. Brian... You may already have a club that you think is, man, I can't wait to get back there. Well, what's the what's the nice setup for you? Clientele, setup, all that. Um, well, I would say that um, obviously the crowd's the most important thing. Just a really invested crowd that's uh, engaged in it, and for me personally, probably appreciate my style of humor, clean humor, stuff like that. Um, 
as far as the setup, um, a green room is nice because some clubs have them, some don't. And uh, a clock, like we said, that's that's always such a nice uh, benefit. A stage that's high but not too high. Good sound system. Um, this makes me sound like a diva now, but my own bathroom. And well, no, it's all good. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's, um, it's things you're wor- you're you're not stressing about. That, that puts your mind on something besides your act, you know. Some clubs, you do have to use the bathroom with everyone else. And before the show, no big deal because no one knows me, right? Yeah. When I get off stage, I really got to go. And now they've seen me. I don't want to have to be talking to people while I'm in yeah. the bathroom. Hey, buddy, good set. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you. Uh, How's it going over there? <laughs> I'm in the stall. You can see my shoes. <laughs> that is that is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I always hated the comedy clubs where the bathroom was like literally – Three minutes away from the stage. Yeah. Cause as a performer, that's like the last thing. Like, oh, I need I should go to the restroom whether I need to or not, so I don't get distracted up there. It rarely is. Have I ever thought about using the bathroom once I hit the stage? But before, I always think about it. Mm-hmm. And when it's in a different part of the room altogether, I mean, you want to be close to the stage when the music starts or yeah. whatever. Uh, you don't want to be out of the room. But yeah, yeah, a bathroom in the green room is a nice thing. Yeah. Just so you don't have that awkward conversations yeah. with people. Well, or you don't hear stuff like, man... That was a long show, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes... It, oh, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Or before the show. I hope this guy's good. If, I, if I'm if i in there, I'm like, me too. And I'll make sure that I look at him when I get on stage. People like, do. They, that's when they talk. <laughs> that's when they that's when they talk the most. I remember the first real comedy show I went to, it was when Comedy Central was brand new, and they were sponsoring like these tours. And there was a tour with Richard Jenny and Kevin Meany co-headlining at the Tennessee Theater. So I was in my town, Knoxville, Tennessee, so we go. I was a big Kevin Meany guy and Richard Jenny guy. And they both did 45. Well, Kevin Meany goes first. And he's so weird and absurd. And I loved it so much. And then I we go down. There's an intermission. I go all the way down, way down in the basement where the bathrooms are at this big theater. And there's these guys standing there. And, and, the urinal, and they're talking to each other. Like, that guy's so weird. He's terrible. And that was the first time I realized, like, comedy's really subjective. Because I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Like- I couldn't wait to see Richard Jenny, too. But... I liked them both in different ways. I like really silly comedy, and I like really smart comedy like Ray Virginia would do. Uh-huh. Ranty kind of vibes. And uh, it was so weird. And I was like, oh, this is how it is. This is how it works. People just really are, have strong opinions about this. And what's funny to me may not be funny to them. Right. Yeah, and then who knows who, what they're saying about you guys. That's true. That's what that's the thing. <laughs> so, what if Kevin Meany was there? <laughs> You'd be like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts, Brian, on your setup? or that? Uh, for Comedy Club, I mean, that's... That's uh, what about your like your demographic? Like, what's your ideal audience? Like, the, if you look out and there's 300 people, what's the mix? Teens, <laughs> <laughs> elderly. No, I don't know. Um, probably 30s and 40s as far as age. Um, you know, women probably tend to laugh a little bit better, especially at my humor and um. I don't know. I mean, just, just <laughs> people who appreciate uh, clean comedy and and aren't looking, you know, there for dirty stuff because mm-hmm. they're probably gonna be disappointed. Gotcha, Johnny. What's your dream church setup gig? Enough uh, tables for all his merch. That's right. I, I, I have <laughs> tables in the back for me to set up my circus, <laughs> all my wares. Uh, no, I. What base just says interesting to me the whole idea of a demographic. I I like a mixed ages crowd. You know, no little kids necessarily because they distract the parents. But 
like I don't mind a few kids that are sitting with their parents and listening because I, I really enjoyed comedy at that age. So mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me if there's an 11 or 12 year old there and they are watching and they like it because I have a lot of fans that are that age and they, and I have some sillier things in my show just for them anyway. Right. Uh, that's the thing about church comedy is you have to have a lot of material right away because you can't just start out with five minutes in a church. They say, Hey, well, here's your, here's 30 minutes and you got to go, wow, I don't have 30 minutes. You have to really grow into it quick. And the other thing is you have a wide demographic of people as far as age wise, you have to make an eight year old laugh and an 80 year old laugh. And that's, that's not easy to do. So I like, uh, but what Bates was talking about with women laugh, women are way easier laughers to the point where people who do nothing but women's conferences, there are some comics who do a lot of women's conferences and I, it, there's a danger of it making you soft because it's such a vibrant audience. Mm-hmm. It's such a friendly and, and, and there's a, there's an ease to them. There's no guard up. Men come in with their arms folded. Oh yeah. It. And you got to break down. Like I do men's conferences and you got to break down and I'm very self-deprecating and very like, I don't hunt, I don't have a gun and I talk about it on stage and I have to really win them over. Yeah. And so, but whereas a women's crowd is like, this is going to be Beatlemania. They, right. I'm going to sell every t-shirt I have. This is, this is 800 soccer moms. It's on. You're the Pete best of comedy. It's cr- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but there, there are nights like that where you just go, this will be whatever. So I would say I really I, I liked having a good mix, but knowing that if it was my druthers, I would say a heavily female audience is just going to be more fun. Although the nightmare of every comic is like a bachelorette party or something where it's rowdy women mm-hmm. and they all they're not there for you. They're there to hang out with Brenda because she finally found the one and blah, blah, blah. And they're being silly. So you have a lot of bachelorette parties. We don't have a lot games? of that in church. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying like. There is a, a, a tribalism that happens sometimes with women in a group where they're not listening to you. So that's the danger too. So if you have a, if you do women's events, but I like a mixed ages crowd. I would, I asked Tim one time that Tim Hawkins, I asked him, what is your favorite crowd? And he said, it's not really an age. He said, I like a, a I do better in a room that's silly. So if people are willing to go silly with him, so then if he does something clever, they'll get it too. They're educated, but. They're also willing to be really silly with mm-hmm. him. That's when he really thrives. And I think I'm the same way. Because I have some things that are just like dumb wordplay things. But then I have something that's a little bit... It would be over the head of a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. It's not like a dirty joke. It's just an adult topic. Right. And I like a room that can get both. And that's one of the reasons I think I like mixed ages crowds. So. And all the things Bates said about the room are probably similar to me. A good sound system. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Buddy Hackett used to talk about his monitor on stage and he wouldn't mean like a monitor like your sound monitor he would mean the number of things that are distracting you in the room from just focusing on being your true funniest self so if the lights are too high that's a one if the guy over here is not laughing that's a one Mm -hmm. and then whatever that number is is keeping you away so you want to be a dead like zero to dead ahead like you're going to be their your funniest self that night and i think not knowing how far you've gone how much time you have left uh are they dropping checks? Is that a glass clinking over there? Oh my gosh, they're clearing tables. Those are things that he called his monitor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think about that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, focus is key for sure. Yeah. I think for me, like I like uh, age-wise, forties and up. I don't mind younger, but I don't want them to be the dominant demographic. Because all my stuff's about having kids, being married. So you'd rather they have kids too, then. Yeah, it helps. I mean, if, if most of them do, and if they're they've got adult kids now, fine because they're mm-hmm. all the little they all start out kind of the same blobs. 
<laughs> worthless little blobs before they grow into somebody. So I do like that uh, s- silliness level. I don't know. I would like the crowds to be a little bit more relaxed, but I, I do find the older they get, the less silly they are. Yeah. Obviously, the stuff that makes you laugh when you're in junior high still makes you laugh today. The further they are away from junior high, the f- further they are away from laughing at those things, yeah. typically. So I kind of like like crowds that might be a tad more patient. I'm not the wordiest guy on stage, but I do have some stories that are going to take a couple of minutes for the big payoff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's laughs along the way. So I like that. I don't mind kids being in the crowd if they're with their parents, like you say, 11, 12 and up. That certainly is okay with me. Cause a lot of my jokes, my kids help me write jokes sometimes. Like, in fact, my son a lot lately, is, you should you should say talk about that on stage. You should make a joke out of that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to listen to him because he mm-hmm. still has the junior high sense of humor because that's where he is right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if he thinks it's funny, it's probably funny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, then I like a, a 50 to 60 minute show. Mm-hmm. When they have a hard contract for an hour, I always say, yeah, 50 to 60, because sometimes they do 60 and, and they laughed 50 worth. Yeah. And sometimes they do 50 and they worth 60 worth. But, you know, don't don't worry about the exact time. The key is that we get off stage on a, a big note. They've enjoyed the experience, but they don't feel like they've stayed too long, you know. Then outside of that, I would like something focused on stage for a few minutes before I get up there at a corporate event especially. If the CEO or the HR person or somebody gets up there and does a little bit of housekeeping – recaps maybe the day and gets their focus okay and then they turn it over to me i like that a lot better than the lights go up somebody reads an intro and butchers it and then here's your comedian and then again i think they should know that comedy is going to happen that day when they wake up and they look at their schedule at a corporate and they should know tonight we got a comedian yeah they can look forward to it or they can go off premises and go get a dinner somewhere else if that's not their thing but i don't like when they hey we've been keeping tonight a secret we got a comedian for you mm. Uh, you know, some people are like, ah. some people love it. Some people are like, ah. I think it's good if they know ahead of time. Yeah. I wouldn't want something like that sprung on me. Hey, we've got a guy who's going to teach how to juggle eels. Oh, really? That's great. <laughs> yeah. I'll watch it until he gets bit twice and I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, but I think there should be some expectations, some yeah. excitement, and then delivery on that. You don't always get that opportunity, though. Sometimes it's like, it is, hey, we got a, a surprise for you. Yeah, sometimes yeah. Uh, if I'm at a conference or whatever, they'll say, this guy's going to do your intro. What do you want your intro to be? And I'll say, well, they're coming back from lunch. Do, kill as much time as you want up there doing announcements. Hey, if you guys don't know, here's where the bathrooms are. Anything you say is less time I have to kill trying to get them settled. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in, I, t- I call it substitute teacher mode. You're in substitute. Don't put me out there as a substitute teacher. They respect you already. You've been a speaker here or whatever it is. Whoever's introduced to me is usually somebody that the voice for that company or for that organization. So I'm like, they'll listen to you, and when you start talking, they'll know it's time to quiet down. Whereas if they, if you just go, ladies and gentlemen, and then it's me, I got to spend the first five minutes of my tried and true material just fighting against the yeah. tide. Uh, so sometimes they don't understand that you have to extra do extra coaching, like you said. It's worth it. Yeah, definitely is. And if they can give something away, if they're going to do a raffle or yeah. something, do one of those because everybody wants to come in the room to try to win the prize. Oh, that makes sense. And they're immediately focused on what number am I? What yeah. Yeah. So they're all at the table, they're listening. Do it before they, you go up. Just one. Like if they're gonna do ten raffles, don't do all ten, but yeah. do one to get everybody back in the room and something's on the microphone they can focus on. Yeah. Uh, when we come back for intermission, when I do the shows with Tim, he has like a throwaway thing he does where he plays harmonica, um, and goes around the crowd and get takes selfies, and it's it's funny enough. He rides out on like a little 
scooter thing. It's just really silly, <laughs> but it's basically a throwaway thing that where he's not wasting material while they all come back. Right. And it's a pretty clever device. If you do, I mean, he does a almost he does an over two hour show. So if you count my set and then the intermission, it's like it's about two and a half hours with intermission and everything. So it's like that's a device he figured out a couple few years ago. Like, okay, I got to figure out a throwaway thing that still is entertaining, but I didn't waste material on people walk. I'm aiming my jokes at people walking down aisles to find their seat again. Mm-hmm. So. That's good. I can see where like a little maybe a video or something would mm-hmm. do the same kind of thing, but kind of get them focused. Well, it's like flashing the lights at the opera house or whatever, mm-hmm. let people know like, hey, the show's starting back or whatever. Yeah, and I've, I've thought about for years of having some kind of video for when there's the opportunity to have a screen of like a 60 second, the comedy show's getting ready to start that covers the intro, the whole nine yards, so mm-hmm. that that does the trick. Uh, I've never put that together, but I might might actually do that this year. Cool. Well, I think we're gonna leave it at that for today. All right. Uh, you guys can find my co-host today, Johnny W. dot com or Johnny W. Comedy. Johnny W. dot com. J o n n i e w. dot com. And Brian Bates Comedy. dot com. That's right. Uh, check them out. See what they're up to. I know Johnny's got some dates coming up uh, for the rest of the year. I'm some out with churches. Brian Bates this weekend, actually. Where are you guys at? We're going to Oregon. So. And Washington. And Washington, Vancouver, Washington. So. Well, stay off the golf courses, That's right. my <laughs> friends. <laughs> That's good. Is it a public show? Yeah, these are both public shows, uh, both at churches. One's at uh, New Beginnings Church in Central Point, Oregon, and then one's at uh, Crossroads Church in Vancouver, Washington. Okay, so that's the uh, first right, and second. It's uh, Friday and it's Friday the thirtieth. The thirtieth and, and second, and then, and then Sunday. We got a day in okay, between. Okay, so day in between to play golf. If you <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if you guys download this on the day of release, you can still catch that second show yeah. and uh, check out their websites. Johnny's got the dates up on his, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Then click through and get tickets. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.